on your tables, you will find a small, I want to say a two by two sticky note. Um, that is for later in the sermon. So just FYI, if you're desiring to use that as a animation cartoon flip thing, ixnay on that idea. Um, but that's for later. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to start this this morning's uh, sermon with another word of prayer. And I'd like to invite you to join with me before I open the word of God this morning. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this privilege to come before you this morning. We are grateful for the songs that have been sung, the, the, the reading that has been read. But Lord, as we are now going to dive a little bit into your word, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to see what you have in store for us. For each of us will be different, and and I get that. We all will take away a, a different point, but that's the great thing about being led by the Spirit, is that when we dive into your word, when we open it, You speak to us, and you speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, that you continue to do so, continue to be present here today. Lead us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm standing up here, and I'm almost at a loss of words. Almost. Um, There is so much to unpack when I, when I dedicated the, the Sabbaths for the series and the topics for the series, and I began, the more I got into it, I'm thinking to myself, I need another month just on this book. And then I, needed, I need six months just to unpack the entirety of, of the book of Ephesians. So I'm, but I don't have that. I mean, I do, but I don't. So this morning, I, wanna, I need to jump ahead from where we left off. We talked, about, we talked about bluff last, last Sabbath. And uh, can anybody, Dennis, you can't say this. Bluff. Does anybody remember what bluff was or is? Okay. Can anybody remember bluff? You can associate it with Ephesians as well. That, that, that is perfectly okay. I'll give you a hint. Anybody remember? Run on sentences. You're on the right track. That's right. Brief, line, up, front. First. Sure, that works too. Synonymous. Potato, potato. Brief line up front. We saw that in Genesis chapter three, excuse me, chapter one, verses one through three. This is a massive sentence, originally written all in Greek. 
But we also saw that the point that Paul is making very at the very beginning is the same point that is found in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, which states, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And this gift includes Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, God is who he is and he is good. And there is no turning away from that. He's not, gonna, he's not a vindictive God. He's not a vengeful God. He is a just God, and he gave us his son to prove that. Okay? This is Genesis, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 in a nutshell. Everything comes from God. And so if you continue to read the book of Ephesians, chapters 2 and 3, you will notice that there are some things there that is what god has done and achieved through jesus genesis again genesis well genesis jesus did that too but ephesians ephesians chapters two and three is exactly what jesus has done in in my bible i have headings and so you have grace through faith you have been saved you were bought and you were brought near to him because of his blood. And as a result of that, Christ is our peace. And he's our cornerstone for which we build on to. And then Paul talks about the mystery being revealed. And the play on words there is fascinating. I'm going to come back one of these days and do a sermon on that. Because the word mystery is incorporated into what Jesus has done. In other words, prior to Jesus coming, how God was going to save us was a mystery. But then Jesus came and he took that veil away and revealed who God is through his life on earth. There are some things here that Paul also talks about that as a result of his mystery, Jesus gives us purpose. Hmm. Have you ever wondered what God's will for your life is? Have you ever wondered, what does God want from me? Well, because of Jesus, he gives me purpose. Now, you might be looking for something like, what does God want me to do tomorrow? I can't help you with that. But I, what I can tell you is I know that God wants you to do something for him and it may cost, I'm using the right, the, that word in the right way, it may cost something from you. So now we jump all the way to chapter four and this is where we're gonna move forward from. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 11, excuse me. We, in chapter 4, we, see we have 
I therefore. See, there are plenty of therefores prior to this. And this is one of them. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says that therefore, this is a connecting point. Remember that you were once Gentiles of the flesh. And this is important for us to remember as we get into chapter 4. You were once Gentiles into the flesh. In other words, you were once aparted, apart from me. You were once not part of God's chosen group. You were once not included in those who have been entrusted with divine truths. That's what Paul is saying here. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles. In other words, you were. You are no longer. Then we jump down to another therefore. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow, I wrote, I added that by addition. That's the, how it, it, it means. You, by additions, you were citizens with the saints. I remember, I, I wish I remember the date, but I don't, but I remember the day. I was sitting in the JFK library in Boston and I raised my hand and I said, I, Arthur Preuss, do solemnly swear. That was the day I became a U.S. citizen. I, I am now an American by addition, not by birth. Paul is saying here, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but what? Fellow citizens. You have been added into the role of those who have chosen to live by the Lamb. This is the therefore. We also have, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation. Hmm. Why would Paul ask for the people of Ephesus not to lose heart? When you look at the context, this is found in chapter 3. Well, in chapter 3, begins by with this verse. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of, G of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Wait, didn't he just say before that you have, are no longer Gentiles, that you are now added by addition? Why is he saying now that I am a prisoner because of you Gentiles? Have you ever wondered that? And so this, therefore, says, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you. All right. We haven't done this in a while. I want you to turn into your tables. Why was Paul suffering tribulation on their behalf? Why is this important? You got five minutes. Talk amongst yourselves. Try to figure it out. Why is this important? Why was the suffering of tribulation on, the, on their behalf important? Why was Paul suffering tribulation on their behalf? And why is it important? Go. He was in prison. Mm-hmm. 
All of, the, all of that, James. All of that. All right. No. Oh, please do not write on the squares. This is just interaction. This is just for talking. This is just for you to fellowship and learn and, and grow together.
Okay. All right. How many of you need more time? <laughs> About a week. About a week. All right. Um, what are some of the reasons why you think this is important? Anybody? He's an example. Okay, yes. In a lot, I'll, I'll come back to that, but yes. But that's not the reason. Prediction? Mm, no. Validation for whom? Okay. So you're basing your valid your theory on what Jesus' words that blessed are those who are persecuted on my behalf. Okay? Good, but no. But yes, you're not you're not wrong. Uh, Sharon? You're you're in the right track. You're on the right track. Okay? Now, you have to remember, Paul was in prison. Why was he in prison? It's because Paul received this calling from God, right? He literally fell off his horse and was tasked with the responsibility to share the gospel with the Gentiles. The Ephesians were Gentiles. Some of them were Jews that became converted, but the majority of them were Gentiles. And Paul had just been arrested in Jerusalem by the Sanhedrin because he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul is writing to them, listen, I'm here because of you. But don't lose heart. So when you read the book of Ephesians and you, and you read things like, you were brought, you were afar off, but you were brought near. You were considered circumcised, now you are uncircumcised. It's not talking about literal process of circumcision, but it's talking about the spiritual metaphor that Paul is trying to get them to understand that this gospel is for everybody. However, here's a therefore. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations, which is for your glory. I, therefore, now this is where we get into, let's sped up. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, based why isn't this popping up? There it is. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul shifts gears here. Up until this point, he has been so preoccupied with, this is what God has done for you. Most of us would have felt comfortable up until that point where he ended chapter 3. He could have ended the, whole, the, the entire book of Ephesians right there and then. But then he has these words. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. 
the scholars look at this as a clear distinction and a division between indicatives and imperatives. In other words, the things that happens here up until this point are here for a reason. And what happens in the indicative is these are the things that gives us the reason for how we behave. Listen to the words that Paul is saying. You were far, you were far now you're near. You were afar off. You were, no, you were not part of this group, but you have been brought near. You have been now are added to this group that has been predestined by God since the foundation of the world. We talked about predestination, how God has chosen each and every single one of us before we were born. The plan for, excuse me, for our, salv- our salvation has been laid before we were born. It's ours to lose it if we choose to. But Paul now shifts gears and says, because you have been chosen, because Jesus has died for you, because he has risen and gone to heaven, and because all of this from the beginning has been set aside, you now choose whom you will serve, as Joshua 1.9 puts it. Excuse me, 24. Choose whom you will serve. However, Paul begins another component of this. He says, because of what he has done, now I urge you to walk. How? We'll look at that in a minute. You see, we have issues when somebody imposes us on what we have to do. Let's be real. If I say, you have to do this, I don't have to do nothing. You can't make me. I remember saying those words as a kid. Yeah, it got me real far. (laughs) But you know, we say to God, you can't make me either. And he says, not a problem. I won't, but watch where that takes you. So Paul now begins this process of the indicative. What God has done and the imperative, what must I do? But here's what really fascinates me about this. Do I have to obey? Do I have to obey? Aren't I? I'm free to choose, correct? Okay. So I won't die. Okay? But check this out. Our behavior in the book of Ephesians, it's both a response to what God has done in Christ and as a proper accompaniment to the praise of God. In other words, what Ernest Bess is saying here, how I act is not just a response to what God has done to me, but it's also a praise to God. Some of you are just... I don't know if I like that. You mean I have to be obedient? You mean I have to do certain things? You don't have to do nothing. But somebody once said, by your fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. 
I think he knew what he was talking about. I think Jesus knew exactly what he said, when he said, and why he said it. Our behavior is a response to what God has done. And it's also a praise to God. Oh, so what is Paul saying here? See, conversion leads to moral renewal. Let that one sink in a little bit. Once we come to Jesus, he says, you are forgiven, you, you, you are mine. But there are expectations that come with that. The expectation is that, okay, I see, so show me. Right? There is the expectation that you, are, you change. And Paul kind of talks about this moral shift in paradigm in these next verses. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Walk, therefore, worthy of the calling with which you are called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of bond and peace. Hmm. You know... When we look at this text, we think to ourselves, oh man, this is really difficult. It's not easy. When you associate these, they pair up. Lowliness and gentleness. Lowliness is the word that is utilized here. It is used to portray how a servant's posture is before his master. Have you ever seen somebody like that? They go as low as they can because they have no power, no authority. But yet we think that because they're lowly, they're humble, right? That they are gentle. And the word that's used here in gentleness in the Greek is the same use that is to describe a domesticated animal. Look at a dog or a cat. We're accustomed to having those kinds of animals inside our house, inside our homes. As pretty and as cute as a little fuzzball is, he will tear you up. That's what it means, gentleness is having the ability to act with violence but foregoing your right to do so. And this goes in, in not just with violence. It goes with our words, our actions. You know, just because you may be right doesn't mean you should say, I told you so. Just because you have the right theology doesn't mean that you have the right to put somebody else down. Just because we have these things in our favor doesn't mean that the person next to us 
is any of a lesser value than we are. That's what lowliness and gentleness means. Oh, you're getting ahead of me, Rick. I'll get there, but it won't be today. And he says, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. You know, I think that in any marriage relationship, long-suffering and bearing with one another, if we would be better at it, I think we would have happier marriages. I'm just talking across the board. I love my wife to death. But there are times that she, be, she becomes a stone in my shoe. And I and hers. I'm not going to put it all on her. We all have and been guilty of being short-tempered with somebody at some point. We all have lost our cool and we have not bore each other in the intimacy of our relationships at some point or other. And if I open up the lens to our church, I don't need to say anymore. But it says, in love. The thing for which, tell them. You see, in love is how we are to behave. When you are doing this in love, and the word love here in the Greek is the word agape, unconditionally, without expectation, without a return, the expectation of a return on the investment. We call that ROI. There is none of that. Endeavoring to keep, this is, the, this is God's ex- expectation of his people, is that when we are gentle and meek, it's another, another way for expressing lowliness and gentleness, and we bear each other and, and we support each other despite how annoying it may be. In love, the result of all of that is Unity. It doesn't, the spirit can come and the spirit can influence us all, but if we are not doing any of this in love, we will never be united. We will never be a church body in one accord. We will never have and uphold the same principles that Paul is asking us to do. And all of them have to do with one thing the obliteration of self all of those virtues depend on you taking yourself out of the equation you can't love somebody conditionally if you are putting yourself first you can't withstand somebody who's being annoying to you if you are looking at yourself it can't happen And I'm preaching to you because I'm guilty of this as well. So I'm not preaching this to you or at you. This is for me included. All of these virtues that we need in order to become a unified 
body. As Paul describes later, you are all of one body, one baptism, one Lord. All in the book of Ephesians. Hinge on us taking ourselves out of that equation. See, we didn't know what, the world did not know what humility was until Jesus came to this world and he humbled himself in the sight of the Lord. He humbled, he became one of us. And James, this is Jesus' brother, not the disciple. He says, you want rest? Humble yourself. Oh, you, you want what's coming to you? Here's what Peter says. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You want what's coming to you? It'll come. It'll depend on the attitude you have and the approach you have. If you're putting yourself first, I I guarantee you're not going to be a unified body. If you are putting yourself and taking yourself out of the equation and you're pursuing long suffering and gentleness and bearing each other and supporting each other in love, you'll have unity. Not just in the church, in your home. How many broken homes have been shattered or, or how many homes have been shattered because of the obliteration of self was never done. This morning I want to end with this question. It's not going to be a discussion. What virtue do you need help with the most in order to foster unity? This is where these squares come in. We're going to do this a little differently today. Band's going to come up. And as you are taking these squares, there are pens inside these boxes. I want you to write which one of those virtues. Andrew, can you go to the slide? On the next slide, please. Thank you. Which one's, one more. Which one of these virtues do you need the most help with? You can put the entire verse down if you want. This isn't for me. This is for you. I want to see this church thrive. I want to see this church grow. I want to see this body of Christ be united more so than than now and more so than ever. So the obliteration of self needs to take place at some point. So as you write which one of these characteristics you need help with the most, I'm going to stand right here. I want you to deposit those here. When the band starts playing, you come up.
I'm going to be praying over these. I'll be praying for you. You don't need to put your name. You know who you are. I'll be praying for you. Shirley and I, we have our devotionals every morning when we come in. We're not going to take them one by one. We're going to pray over them as a group. But I know that we all need improvement in one or all of those. Choice is yours.